well, I gave you a bulletin for the first time in a long time, and then I already uh, went out of order and just prayed uh, now instead of after the service. But you don't care a bit about that, I know. Um, but that seemed uh, timely and appropriate. Well, we're going to open to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. That's our sermon passage for today. We're continuing our series through John. If you're just joining us, we're, uh, we've been in the Gospel of John for for some time now, and we're in uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12 today, uh, in a message that I've called, By His Grace and for His Glory. But let's look there together, and if you'll stand now in honor of the reading of God's Word, and as we just give special attention to His voice in the Scriptures. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It is not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me uh, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for your true and living word. And as much as we would confess, we take for granted how available to, uh, it is to us, we are thankful that in a dark and darkening world, you have spoken truth and life that has illumination for the darkness and wisdom for every situation, provision for every need. And we bring our need for wisdom and our need for provision of all sorts to you today, asking, as always, that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. Lord, would you move me out of the way as you're always faithful to do and use my voice as your instrument for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's possible uh, for people to face circumstances that for one reason or another seem like they'll never change. They'll never get any better. Uh, and maybe that's true for some this morning in, in any number of ways, in any different types of ways. You just accept, well, this is, this is my lot in life. This is just the way it is. Maybe it never enters your mind that things could be uh, any different. 
because this is just the way life has always been for you. Uh, maybe you think you're getting what you deserved. Whatever adversity you're facing that you've brought it on yourself. Maybe you think that and maybe you know that. Sometimes that is actually the case. That there are natural consequences for bad decisions we make. And maybe you know that's the case in your situation. And so you're just resigned to it. This is now the lot in life that I'm given. And so it is. Or maybe it's not about your circumstances that seem like they'll never change. Maybe it's the circumstances of a loved one. You've watched their life come unraveled. You've watched them drift into spiritual darkness, perhaps, having raised them up uh, in the church, in the Christian community, in the faith, uh, even in your household, and you just, you're sort of watching them go adrift. And you know they need the Lord, but they don't know they need the Lord. Some of them maybe kind of know they need him, but they don't want him. And, and either way, uh, you're just wondering if they've gone too far. I mean, some of them have drifted so far. Uh, some of them are so resolutely opposed to the things of God, perhaps. So resolutely set on their own way. You just wonder, maybe they, they, they're just too far off. Even though you would maybe never say it, somewhere in your heart you think they're just beyond reach at this point. They're out, out, of, out of God's reach. Well, John chapter 9 provides an account of Jesus doing an extraordinary kindness for a man who lived with extraordinary adversity, the kind that anybody would look at and say, this is never going to change. This is just his lot in life. So extraordinary, he probably had no hope. Almost certainly had no hope that it would, that it would ever be any different. He was born blind, as it said. And as we considered last week, you know, whatever circumstances you're born into are just your normal. You don't know any different in lots of ways. And I use that uh, as sort of a, a, an analogy to say, you know, people born into slavery would, uh, would only know that's their station in life for a long time, wouldn't know any different. And so this man literally was born blind. He didn't know any different because he didn't have sight and then lose it. He doesn't even know what he doesn't have. You know, if you don't know what you're missing, you don't miss it. Right? And I don't know if you've ever paused and thought about this, about his experience or anybody like that who's born blind. Because through ordinary experiences with people in life, he would come to know that other people around him could see. Like he would come to understand just through interactions with people that he's different than everybody else. And, and that they can see and he can't, but he would have no personal frame of reference for what sight even was. You ever thought about that? Like he, he understands that other people have it. He just doesn't have any concept of what it is at all. He wouldn't have any concept, for example, of what color is. 
no matter how somebody might try to describe red or yellow, he, he would have no concept, he would have no way of understanding even what that was. He would only dream in four senses, not five. He would have dreams probably, as, or at least uh, as much as anybody else would. But he would dream in four senses because his, his mind has never stored information about images of any sort. Have you ever thought about that kind of thing? It's just totally absent from his experience whatsoever. But that day, Jesus gave him sight, an extraordinary kindness, an extraordinary kindness. Just gave him sight, something he he knew he didn't have, but he didn't even understand what he didn't have. That's what Jesus did for that man that day. And, and Christ's healing of the blind here and other places has, it would seem, special significance. Uh, first, because he gives sight to the blind more often than he performs any other category of miracles. There, there are more uh, healings of blind people than any other single category of miracles. Second, significant, because it's a miracle that nobody else in the Bible besides Jesus performs. There are no mentions in the Old Testament of blind receiving their sight. Uh, There is no such miracle performed by Christ's followers. And there there are lots of miracles performed by his disciples. But no, uh, no examples of people, a blind person, receiving sight by the hands or ministry of his followers. You, you might think of the one exception to that being when uh, Saul himself was struck by, blind by Jesus and scales were on his eyes. And uh, when Ananias you know, prayed for him, the scales uh, fell off of his eyes. That's sort of just categorically a different uh, situation, not only because Ananias didn't pray for his sight to be restored um, as such. But anyway, no examples of uh, that in the Old Testament, no examples of anybody else in the New Testament. Because in, in the uh, Old Testament, we're told that the power to give sight to the blind is a power that belongs to God and a power that will be uh, manifest in the ministry of the Messiah. The the Old Testament tells us both of those things. It's God who gives sight to the blind, and it will also be the Messiah who gives sight to the blind. And it's probably that messianic association that John especially intends to highlight here, that as the prophets said, this would be something that the Messiah does, so Jesus did it, and nobody else did it. But above all, Uh, Jesus' healing miracles have a special significance because they provide such a clear metaphor or analogy to his saving work in general, right? Because every human being born in sin is born in spiritual blindness. There's all kinds of this sort of language that's used about lost people, even that we are uh, delivered out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
that we couldn't see spiritually, and then by his grace, we could see. We're born in spiritual blindness, and when Jesus saves us, he gives us spiritual sight. We can see previously what we previously were unable to see. And, and so with that in mind, that how Jesus heals provides a, a picture of how Jesus saves. Uh, I just want to note today the fact that the healing of this blind man provides us with a vivid illustration that the way Jesus saves is by his grace and for his glory. By his grace and for his glory. That's a good little phrase that you could memorize right down in the leaflet of your Bible and would help you understand some important things about the, the person and the work of Jesus, that he saves by his grace and for his glory. First of all, in the sense that Jesus takes the initiative. He saves by his grace in the sense that Jesus takes the initiative. In these first few verses, it says, if you look uh, there with me, that, that Jesus saw a blind man. The disciples asked about the cause of the blind man's, uh, cause of the man's blindness. And Jesus answered in a way that they haven't, hadn't even considered or expected, right? Like they, that was not, they, they knew it was one of two options. And he said, no, actually, there's a third explanation. And then look at verse six. Because it said, having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and anointed the man's eyes with the mud. What I want you to notice is missing in those first six verses is the man doesn't ask to be healed. He doesn't indicate in any way he wants to be healed. He doesn't even indicate that he understands somebody's walking by who might possibly be able to heal him. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything to invite this. Didn't cry out. He had heard enough to know that his name was Jesus. We know that when he said the man called Jesus, you know, anointed my eyes with mud and told me to go wash in the pool, and I did. There's no indication he even knew Jesus was somewhat somebody that could do such things. It's, it's a bit like there's some comparisons here to be made to the man at the pool of Bethesda, actually, in terms of the initiative that Jesus takes and so on. But the man didn't cry out for help. In fact, it's not even clear. Jesus told him he was going to put mud in his eyes. Or like that he asked for permission. And he, there may have been some exchange there. But, you know, there, there's, there's nothing at all except for Jesus' initiative to give that man sight that day. Totally a work of his grace. That's what grace does. I mean, one of the ways, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to get your head wrapped around grace, one of, the, one of the little pieces you can try to wrap your head around it is that, is that God takes the initiative. He doesn't need to wait for somebody else to take the first step. In fact, here's the truth of the matter. Even when it appears that you did take the first step, like you know in your own experience, like this is what happened, and I, I uh, uh, moved toward God that I sought him out and so forth. But even when, when that seems to be the case from your own experience, the truth is that he's already taken the initiative and in bringing you around to that point. Do you understand that? 
I mean, we look back on the situation and we see God's hand at work by his grace, even bringing us along, uh, putting us in contact with people who could say the things that we needed to hear that moved, moved us along, to pray for us uh, in the ways that would move us along and so, and so on. I, I should mention here, it's not as if the man does nothing because he does respond in faith. How so? Well, because Jesus says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he did. And consider the fact that if you're a blind man, it's not as easy to get to the pool of Siloam as it is for the average Joe. Right? I mean, that, there, there's some commitment on his part. He's, he's taking Jesus' word for it, and he just goes. He responds in faith. And it is through that act of faith and those means that Jesus brings about his healing. But the grace of God is demonstrated first in the fact that Jesus takes the initiative. That is good news. I don't know if you realize it yet. <laughs> I, I, let, me, let me tell you, in case you don't realize it. It's a good thing God isn't waiting around for you to get yourself in order all the time. It might not be true about you. It is definitely true about the person next to you. Because <laughs> Jesus takes the initiative. A second, it, we, we see a picture of, of God saving by his grace and for his glory in the sense that God intends to glorify himself in the way he saves. And he actually glorifies himself too. Uh, but but I, I choose that language to say, not only does he receive glory as like a secondary benefit of saving the way he saves, but he sets out to glorify himself in the way that he saves. And that's exactly what happens here. The disciples assume that either the man or his parents are responsible for his blindness. You see there in verse 2, that's the nature of their question. Who was it, him or his parents that sent? And that sort of reasoning is at least as old as the book of Job, right? Because that's, that's a, the whole book of Job almost, his friends trying to convince him in a very eloquent fashion that he has brought his calamity on himself in some way, that he's paying for some sin of, of his own. That's uh, a real common human um, assumption that people make. But Jesus said in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This has all happened, and this is now happening for God's glory. For God's glory. He did this, that his work might be displayed in him. He intended to show himself strong and mighty in giving sight to a man born blind. But what else does he show himself to be? Good and gracious. He shows himself mighty, but he also shows himself to be exceedingly, unimaginably good. And that brings him glory to display that he is great and he is good. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 makes this point, and you, if you can turn quickly, you could turn there. I meant to get the page number in the uh, church Bible there, in the racks underneath. 
the chairs. But Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians is just loaded. It's like, uh, it says like 28 chapters worth of stuff in six chapters. It's just dense and rich. Uh, but this first chapter, uh, first half of the chapter is really loaded too. But he says, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And get this phrase, these two phrases, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You, you might want to go back later and read that and meditate on it, but here's what he, in, in, in the verses 3 through 14, it's a run-on sentence of, of like a fire hydrant of blessing that he's saying. I mean, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. All of the good things God has done. He's, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. And he begins to name them. He's chosen us from the foundations of the world, predestined to us, us to adoption as sons. Sinners became sons. Rebels traitors became sons and heirs according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. God is glorified by being gracious. God, God, is, God receives glory because he saves by grace. If we were to read over in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says uh, something similar in verse uh, 7, I think. That in the ages to come, that you were dead in trespasses and sins, he made you alive together with Christ, seated you with him in the heavenly places, that in the ages to come, he might show the riches of his grace and his kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. That he would display the riches of his grace, and he'll be glorified. He'll be glorified in the face of all of creation because he has been gracious. And by definition, he did so to people who didn't deserve grace. Now, here's the other side of that. Does anybody here feel like they got the short end of that deal because God did that for his own glory, that somehow every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places isn't good enough? Well, why is he the one who gets the glory? Right? I mean, that's absurd. That would be absurd. And it would be equally absurd if we thought the man felt that, the blind man in John 9 felt that way. This happened to him. He has been a beggar for a long time, long enough to be known by people as a beggar. He has felt his way around in darkness for a lifetime up to this point. And all of that leading to the purpose that God would display his works and be glorified 
by the way that he rescues that man and gives him sight. There's no way that man thought that even though God did all that for his glory, that he got this short end of the stick somehow. Verse 7 says, this is, this is one of the greatest understatements probably in the whole New Testament. He went and washed and came back seeing. Like that's the whole account of the thing. Jesus said, you know, put mud on his eyes, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. He went and washed and came back seeing. Do you understand what had changed about his life from the time he left and went to the pool to the time he got back? Do you understand what it means that he came back seeing? That a man who never had any concept of what sight was. That's a different walk home than it was a walk there, right? You know, usually it's my experience when I take a trip somewhere, the trip home is always longer. Right? The way back is always longer. For this man, the trip home was a good trip. He's seeing light, and he never knew what light was before. He's seeing color. He never knew what color was before. He's never seen before a painted sky at sunset. He's never seen the smile of his mother's face before. Can you imagine how big the smile was on her face? Or maybe it was shock at first. The smile might have come later because she probably couldn't even process that. Jesus just gave him a whole world of experiences. He didn't really even know he was missing. Oh, Lord, if we could get our hearts around that, the profundity of that truth. How staggering that is. And he, he's great, and he's good, you see. And that makes him glorious. He brings himself glory because he is so great that he could give sight to one who's never had it. And he's so good that he would, that he would be willing to do so. He glorifies himself and intends to glorify himself in the way he saves. The, the, the third thing that we could say about uh, the fact that he saves by his grace and for his glory, is that no one is lost beyond hope. No one is lost beyond hope. You can't get any more blind than born blind, I don't think. And being born blind in the ancient world was a life sentence, so to speak. No hope of that changing. And as I mentioned earlier, some, some of us have circumstances in our own lives or the lives of loved ones that seem to be beyond hope. And while we might not say that, we really live as if that's true. We're just resigned to circumstances that this is just out of reach. That was the blind man for a lot of years. 
Again, he'd spent day after day begging, day after day, uh, probably not going terribly far, not doing so without the help of other people. Deprived of any number of uh, privileges, if you will, great and small, little things that everybody else took for granted. I was in the course of just reading and learning uh, about, you know, kind of the experiences and realities of somebody born blind. I uh, watched a, a couple of videos of a, of a man who was, was born blind, who has a YouTube channel, and uh, answers a number of different questions about that experience. But one of the questions somebody asked him, if you could, if you could have your sight, what's one thing you, you think you would like to do that you, that you can't do? There were two, he, he was uh, being joined by somebody who used to be able to see and lost her sight. And so she had a different experience than he did because she knew what she had lost. And she had a sense of what she would like to recover. He didn't have any sense of that. She said, what would you like to do that you can't do uh, because you're blind? He said, I'd like to be able to catch a ball without somebody saying, hold out your hands, here it comes. That would be cool. That was how he answered the question. And so uh, all kinds of little things, uh, this man living ordinary life, this man in John 9, has been led around by people, helped along in certain ways, and felt his way along in many other ways for a lot of years. But then, one day, it says in verse 1 there, Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. Obviously, he didn't see Jesus. If he heard people talking about him, as I already said, didn't really know what significance that had in any respect. But Jesus saw him, and that was the day he had determined he would do the impossible he would do the impossible for a man that otherwise was beyond hope. But Jesus would do the impossible and the man would receive the unimaginable. Light, color, faces, objects. He walked back from that pool in a way that was altogether different. He saw the people and the object he was navigating himself around. Might have, might have had a little bit of a slow trip back as he was stopping and looking around and taking it all in. And if that isn't a picture for us of the fact that there is, there is nobody whose situation is outside of the reach of a sovereign and gracious God, who listen, the worse off the situation is, the more he's glorified by saving us out of it. So much so, you may remember, uh, Paul even um, sort of anticipates the question, well, shall we sin all the more then so grace may abound? You remember that uh, in the book of Romans? And he says, well, may it never be. 
But it's sort of an obvious question that comes to people's mind. If God is glorified but by, uh, by the more wretched I am, shall it, let's just party it up. Send it up. Give him something to save us from. Well, no, may it never be. But see, but, but the truth is still um, that, that God looks on these realities in a completely opposite way than we do. Because somebody who thinks you're in the mess you're in because you made your own mess. I brought this on myself. I know this is a consequence of my own um, crime, drug use, alcohol use, uh, reckless living in whatever kind of way. Like you, you know that that's the case, that it is the natural consequence of that. And see, you and I think, therefore, I've disqualified myself from God's favor. But the truth is, his grace is more gracious and more glorious because of the messiness. We are never, never beyond hope. Never beyond his reach. Your circumstances, the circumstances of that loved one that you almost don't know how to pray for anymore or, you, or, 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 or maybe you've, you, you've stopped praying because somehow uh, it, you discourage yourself by even praying because you think there's, there's really no hope in what I'm praying for. Somebody's there. Maybe for those who are so despairing about the state of our country and the state of the world, it's much the same way. I don't know how to even pray. I don't even know if I ought to pray. We're going to get what we deserve. That very well could be true. And it very well could be that it takes uh, even more adversity and hardship to turn us back to the Lord. If that's true, it wouldn't be the first time that that's happened and that people have required that. But either way, the bottom line is it's not beyond hope. It is not beyond God's reach. He can do the impossible. He can do the impossible. And when he does, we receive the unimaginable. Because it is gracious and it is glorious. Because he is great and he is good. And that's a lot to praise him for and thank him for and to press into him for and believe him for. Because he will never cease to be those things. While we grow weary in well-doing, while we grow weary in our praying, he will never grow weary of being great and good and gracious and glorious. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the indescribably good news once again. That we're not without hope, we're not beyond hope, even when we have brought calamity upon ourselves. Your favor does not depend upon our merit. It is all 
by your grace and for your glory. And there are countless ways in which people here today and people listening online need to receive that truth, internalize that truth, and have that ministered to them. And so would you just be uh, gracious in a personal way to do exactly that in the time that remains here and as we go from here? Lord, would you keep each one of your sheep in your grasp and Lord, assure them that because you are who you are, that, that there is always hope. Lord, would you renew that in us today? We have been despairing for too long. We have, uh, because of all kinds of circumstances, Lord, in this last year, we have talked ourselves in, into a, uh, a low downcast sort of place. We have downshifted into despondency, Lord, and we need to be shaken up out of it and awakened from it and have our hope renewed because our confidence is in you and because you have not been shaken. So, Lord, shake us to the extent we need to be that we might have a joy and enthusiasm renewed because we still belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Bring that truth home to us today in Christ's name. Amen.